from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Good day, welcome, welcome, welcome. You are listening to another installment of Rated LGBT Radio. And if you happen to see um, in your uh, schedule of the same title, The Teaser, um, that was a short little bit that we did um, thinking we were leading into the show, but it cut off thanks to technical difficulties. So this is the real deal, the real show. Um, that did give you a hint of what we're talking about. And what we are talking about is um, last week we did a show on the mob violence that happened in Washington, D.C., um, it was fresh from that happening. Uh, we talked about what we knew, what we observed, the impact of it. In the week that followed, we've had a lot more information um, on what was behind it all, um, a lot more detail of the things that actually did take place there. Um, we've seen a lot more ramifications um, to the people involved, including the president, um, on everything that happened. And today we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about it in light of uh, Donald Trump's <clears throat> historic impeachment, um, as well as <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> as well as the upcoming inauguration. And uh, with that, I will bring on my esteemed colleague Brody LeBeck. Brody. Hey, Rob, and uh, for all of our listeners, round two. Um, yeah. it, it, well, you know, technical difficulties are just the way it is. Uh, you know, it's just you know something that seems to be as we end the Trump era almost the norm, if you will. Um, so yeah, um, Mike will Michael will cover I think a good deal of stuff on the ground uh, as far as Washington goes. Uh, we still have um, you know other. Uh, issues going across the militia groups, uh, all 50 state capitals. We have capitals that are beefing up their security, uh, Oregon, Washington State, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, in Georgia, Atlantis, Tallahassee. Uh, so people are taking this very seriously because there are a lot of uh, chattering and threats uh, being levied uh, by the far-right militia groups and the white supremacists. Uh, against the security of not just uh, President Biden's uh, inaugural, but across the spectrum uh, in almost every capital of every state, which is kind of tragic uh, in and of its own right. Um, Looking at uh, long term, uh, this is unfortunately, sadly, uh, going to end with the inauguration of President Biden and Vice President uh, Kamala Harris. I think we're probably going to be in this for the long haul. Uh, you know, the forces that were unleashed, uh, it's going to take a while to uh, corral them all. And I'm going to note that federal law enforcement right now uh, is doing yeoman work. Uh, the FBI, United States Marshal Service, Homeland Security uh, are literally scooping up many of the people that were directly involved in the Domestic Terrorist Act against the U.S. Capitol building last week. So it's kind of gratifying to see the federal response to it. Uh, but at the same time, we're also looking at the reality that this isn't over with. It's not even remotely done with, and we're going to continue to have problems 
uh, even as a new administration uh, takes right. power. Uh, and, uh, again, these governors are, you know, at wit's end as well uh, because they're dealing with it. So it's just kind of a – it's just kind of – Which, wild. yeah, and also bear in mind that the people who got into the building were just, like, in the first thousand of the head of the, the whole crowd. So they're – who knows how many others didn't even get in. I mean, that were, I mean, there were tens and tens of thousands of people there um, that, that many of which could have had <clears throat> similar intentions on, on getting in there. Um, Brody, I want to switch you quickly to Montana though, of what's going on there. Yeah. Um, so there's a significant attack on particularly the trans community. This is this is a this is a very serious attack. NBC News journalist Dan Avery reports today that a Montana Republican uh, has introduced two separate pieces of legislation. Um, both are pretty onerous. The first piece of legislation would bar trans women and trans men from participating in sports. The second one, though, uh, is almost a direct uh, take off of an act that was. Uh, almost and nearly enacted in Britain, and it was an, it's an act, House Bill 113, that provides for youth health protection is the name of the act. Basically, physicians are prohibited from treating gender dysphoria in minors by prescribing, uh, providing or administer uh, puberty-suppressed drugs, uh, cross-sex hormones, including estrogen and testosterone. Uh, and then he's also got a provision in there that would bar them from any kind of gender affirming uh, surgery to the point where they uh, would actually be criminally charged and fined upwards of $50,000. This would be the doctors. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it also would probably be looking at um, some, you know, prison time associated with that. So uh, Montana Representative John Fuller, Whitefish, um, and, and I'll say it because I, you know, you know, white. Over the age of 60, obviously, clueless, and basically your typical Christian fascist. And so this comes as no surprise. Uh, while we were in our downtime between our technical difficulty and now, um, I made a quick chat uh, with Liz Welch. Uh, she's with the American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, she's actually from the Montana area. I alerted her to uh, Dan Avery's piece, and she fired right back with a single uh, text. Yep, on it. So the ACLU is very much aware of this. But this is, again, part and parcel of the ongoing problem. Well, and it's already gotten a huge backlash. Over 150 businesses have come out against this. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it it is ironic that in a lot of these civil rights cases, um, you know, as as much as the progressive wing of, um, you know, American politics, like to be anti-capitalism and anti-business and all that. It is the businesses that kind of stand up and squash a lot of these, um, these efforts. So, um, you know, hopefully the, and that's pretty dramatic that 150 have come out already against it and in um, no uncertain terms. Definitely. Definitely. I, and I think that it, you know, I, again, you know, this is what it's always traditionally been. Um, you know, it's, it's the constant swinging of the of the pendulum back and forth. And this has been going on since you can actually take and mark the time period and when a lot of this 
uh, really commenced, and that was the time that uh, Newt Gingrich uh, took over as Speaker, uh, the contract for America, the final marriage of the Christian white evangelicals to the Republican Party, uh, the more extremist of both fringes. Um, and so by the time it built and built and built till we got to uh, Trump, who just unleashed all of the forces of evil uh, by becoming a personality in politics, uh, it, it became a personality cult, basically, with Trump. Uh, not unlike what we saw with you know various other failed dictators and authoritarians over the years. But from Gingrich till now, you can see the progression of this. One of actually Gingrich's probably number one uh, sponsors and backers, someone who was directly responsible for influencing uh, a lot of the things that we see today, including that piece of legislation in terms of more or less being the spiritual grandfather of it, issued a press release today. And, of course, that's James Dobson, who was the co-founder of both Plucus on the Family and the Family Research Council, uh, both of whom are listed as hate groups by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, one of the things that he did in a press statement today, okay, is he's pointing fingers uh, at the incoming administration, and he's saying, and I'm quoting uh, Dobson, as I warned in December, there will be no checks and balances within our system of government. The most radical ideas promoted by President Joe Biden and his majority party will be enacted. We can infer from what they have told us that the years ahead will bring more LGBTQ propaganda, less moral compunctions, more governmental corruption, less oversight of elections, more cancel culture, fewer police officers, more gun control, and less government of the people, by the people, and for the people. We can also anticipate quick passage of the horrendous Equality Act. So, And then he goes on with his diatribes. So the message is... And who, who, is, who is that that... Who is that? That's, that James, that out? That, that's James Dobson. He co-founded yeah. with Gary Bauer and a few right. other people, Family Research Council, Booker's of the Family. I mean, you know, they held power during the last four years with Trump. Now they're going to get, you know, shuffled off to Buffalo again. But now they're empowered, they're emboldened, and it's just it's going to get messier. And unfortunately, um, it is the Achilles heel uh, of the American uh, system. It was built into the Constitution when Mason and uh, Hamilton and uh, Madison sat down and banged out what later became the Bill of Rights. Uh, they put a poison pill in there, and that was uh, you know, a complete total so-called freedom of religion without any constraints. And when they did that, they screwed up. And unfortunately, here we are, what is it, 255 years later, and we're still paying for that mistake. And people like Dobson, people like, you know, Tony Perkins, any of these, Franklin Graham, just, you know, pick your flavor, okay, of over-the-top Christian fascist, and this is what you're dealing with. And just because we're switching gears and getting into a new administration absolutely does not mean as a community that we need to get off our game and off our guard. It's going to get worse. These people have tasted power while Trump was in office, and they, they, you know, they're not going to be willing to so easily go into the night and go crawl back under the rocks from once they came. Uh, so right. anyway, there's there's my, yeah. there's my two bits. 
yeah, no, it, we have to watch. We have to watch them because it, it is, I mean, there are pluses and minuses. One is that the community could be uh, somewhat fractured because uh, even though the upper echelons of them, like the Dobsons, are definitely in Trump's pocket and ignoring um, any of his moral failures, uh, many of the rank and file are not. Um, but also they've had their, you know, like with um, – uh, Falwell Jr.'s um, scandal and all that. Um, there's been some rocking across the board, but definitely we need to watch them and we need to because the, the other thing is this thing in Montana, Brody, is completely out of that playbook that you and I've talked about before. That is coming mm-hmm. out of you know the those right wing legal groups. The, these are not just something that came up in the mind of this one legislature in Montana. Oh no, I mean these are marching orders. These are along the lines of an agenda that that has been playing out in a couple of different states. And if we can squash it in red states like Montana, then um, so much the better, because uh, they won't have a chance in a blue state. <laughs> um, I want to go ahead and switch gears, though, and bring on our special guest. Um, he was on last week, uh, Michael Labors. Uh, Michael is the international editor of the Washington and L.A. Blade newspapers. He is in Washington, D.C., he was at the Capitol, um, as we talked to him last week, um, when things were going on. And this week, he's been around the town taking pictures, observing, um, and seeing more of the aftermath. Um, and so we wanted to get him on and get his uh, firsthand thoughts, experiences, and viewpoint on everything that, that's happened. Michael, welcome back to the show. Hey, Rob. Uh, happy Friday from the nation's capital. <laughs> oh, thank you. So what is it looking like there? It's, um, you know, we, we talked about at the time the National Guard was not seen until hours after everything started. My understanding is their presence is now much more thoroughly felt every day there. Yes, and uh, thank you for having me back on again. Uh, I rode my bike around downtown D.C. yesterday, and just for a point of reference, I live a few blocks from downtown D.C., and we are probably going to be just outside of the initial perimeter once everything is said and done. So it's it's literally in my neighborhood, like literally two blocks from my apartment is where the security um the security has started to be shown. And there's even a sign on my street um, about a block from my apartment that is advising folks not to head downtown on January 20th. The sign says for, um, I'll pull up the photo here, it's it's quite understated to say the least, but there's a sign that went up um, just yesterday, I saw it yesterday, and um, it describes it as a special event. <laughs> downtown on the 20th of uh, January. It's uh, understated to say the least. But anyways, um, so what I saw downtown yesterday was within about six blocks of leaving my apartment. I I rode my bike downtown because uh, vehicular traffic is already shut down for most of downtown D.C. There are those very high fences that are supposed to stop people from entering a specific area. Those are being 
uh, erected around um, Ice Ward. I, I first saw that at the intersection of uh, 17th and K Street. That's about uh, four blocks northwest of the White House, uh, Farragut Square, If for folks who are familiar with D.C., um, that's about uh, seven blocks south of my apartment. So I saw that, and then from there, um, there was no traffic at all in downtown D.C. for um, anywhere from west of the White House all the way down to the area around the Capitol. So that's a good two-mile stretch of downtown D.C. that's close to vehicular traffic. And there's just lots of barricades being set up. There's lots of fencing. There are at this point, more than 7,000 National Guards troops throughout the city. Most of them are around the Capitol. That number, from what I understand, is expected to go up as high as 25,000 by next week. And uh, just as a point of reference, I've seen many people point out on social media that currently there's more troops in D.C. than there are in Iraq and Afghanistan. So that just gives you a sense of just how serious the situation here is in D.C. And then on top of that, just before we came back on, um, the Virginia State Police announced that all but two of the bridges from Virginia into D.C. over the Potomac will be closed as of Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. So I was talking with um, our colleague um, at the Blade who's been in D.C. for since the early 1970s, and he said that he's never seen a security crackdown so extreme like the one that we have now, and it's only going to get even more um, more restrictive. Essentially, D.C. is already on lockdown, and that's only going to get worse as we approach the inauguration because of what happened here last week with the insurrection and the very real threat of folks coming into D.C. before the inauguration and during and even after to cause even more problems. So we're essentially a city under lockdown at this point. And on top of that, we also have a pandemic that continues to rage out of control, like in California. So the inauguration was going to be a lot smaller anyways because of COVID. But COVID combined with the insurrection that we saw last week, it's just... um, it's a combination of things that have um, really put the city on edge and everybody's just kind of holding their breath and hoping that nothing nothing bad happens, but there's really right. no guarantee. There's a real sense of fear and anxiety here in D.C. And for the more than 700,000 people who live here, it's a very present situation and it's only going to become more so in the next few days. But, yeah, um, it's very weird to see downtown D.C. just completely empty of traffic, and there were very few people out and about when I was down there yesterday. I did see somebody jogging down the middle of Pennsylvania Avenue with no traffic on either side. That was quite eerie. And then just seeing that sign, again, you know, downplaying the event, I laughed when I saw it, but um, it's uh, a Half, less than a block from my apartment. So that's very real. And I've been getting, you know, my family across the country has been increasingly concerned for our safety and well-being here in D.C. So it's going to be a very, very okay. anxious few days here. And we're just holding our breath and hoping hoping nothing further happens. It's been a very traumatic few days here in D.C. And um, we're just hoping for the best at this point. Right. 
Who who will be allowed in for the inauguration? Yeah, from what I understand, um, there and again, it's subject. Things are subject to change. It's a very fluid situation. Uh, I personally had no issue getting into the secure area yesterday on my bike. I had my press credentials shown at all times. Nobody stopped me. Um, I think I had to move out of the way for an authorized vehicle to drive by me. That was about the extent of the interruption that I had. But um, I've seen reports of people who live inside the uh, security zone who have had to show IDs to get to their apartments have not been allowed to get into their apartments. That's I just saw that on social media before we started talking. And... Um, so I think that has to be worked out. But from what I understand, uh, credentialed media will be allowed in the secure area. And, um, I, again, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think they're trying to set up a couple of um, first – it's always it's called, like, First Amendment zones here in D.C., you know, where you're allowed to protest. And so they're working those details out. But – it seems as though there is a chance that there are going to be a couple of areas on the National Mall where people can do that. But, um, again, this is all subject to change. But the Capitol is closed to the public, as you would expect, and lots of the, the grounds around the Capitol are as well. So access is going to be extremely limited. And even our, you know, the mayor is basically saying, if you don't have any essential business in downtown D.C., stay away. So... That's the latest situation here, but it's an extremely fluid situation, and things are changing by the hour. And um, so we'll we'll wait and see. But that's where it stands now, from the best information that I have, just from media right. and local folks here. So we we talked last week um, right after it happened, and and you gave us your impressions and and um, everything that you you had seen and, and heard at that point. Um, what what has impressed you in the weeks since then of either accounts of things that happened that you weren't aware of um, or even reactions to uh, the impeachment? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, re, I when we spoke last week, I, I remember saying that at the time I didn't realize how serious the situation was at the Capitol, because even though I was there in the periphery, because I just didn't have access to a lot of information. I only realized several hours later, once I arrived home, that it was such a serious situation. And the thing that's horrified me more than anything is that, you know, as days have, as we have, as we're a little bit further out from the ins- from the insurrection, what happened, the details of what actually happened inside the Capitol that are coming out through accounts of lawmakers, accounts of police officers who were there when everything happened, it could have been so much worse than in many ways it was. So that's been really horrifying. And then the other horrifying part of it as well is that it seems increasingly clear at this point from what certain lawmakers have said. Um, Mickey Sherrill was on um, from New Jersey. The congresswoman from New Jersey was on Rachel Maddow the other day talking about she saw people given being given tours inside the Capitol the day before everything happened. Again, the Capitol is closed to the public because of COVID. That shouldn't have been happening. So it's increasingly clear that what happened here on January 6th um, was coordinated. And the question now is who coordinated that insurrection on the Capitol, whether it was somebody 
inside the Capitol. Hopefully it wasn't the members of Congress, but it seems as though that could potentially be where we're at. And did they have outside support? So as the, the details that have emerged from what happened on January 6th, they're becoming more and more horrifying. Um, it could have been a, you know, it could have been so much worse than it, than it was. In terms of Trump's impeachment, um, I don't think that's a surprise. Um, I'm a little surprised that not more Republicans backed it. His impeachment, we had 10 in total. Um, it would have been, you know, people thought there would have been a little bit more than 10. But, but you know, it's the most bipartisan impeachment in U.S. history, and two out of the four pres- two out of the four impeachments that have happened in the United States in our history have been. Um, Donald Trump. <laughs> so that's where we're at as well. It, um, but just everything that we're learning about what happened on January 6th, it becomes increasingly clear that uh, what happened could have been so much worse. And we very well could have had a situation where hundreds of people were killed, members of Congress were killed, could have been killed in a mass casualty incident. It's just the details that are coming out are just absolutely horrifying. And now we're all, you know, it's just so much more frightening than we could even have imagined last week when we were talking about this. So, um, yeah, it's, it certainly is not, was not our country's finest moment for damn sure. No, definitely. Um, I noticed that, uh, originally the U S prosecutors, uh, in their court filing had asserted that, uh, rioters were seeking to capture and assassinate elected officers I just saw a notice from CNN that they are walking that back. Um, do you guys have hmm. any insight as to why that might be the case? I don't personally. Um, the only thing I can speculate is that, you know, it's part of the ongoing investigation. But we've all seen the videos that have come out from inside the Capitol. You know, the the, crowd, the mob was chanting, you know, hang Mike Pence. They were looking for Nancy Pelosi and um, members of Congress and, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez in particular has talked about how she felt unsafe, you know, she could have been assassinated and paraphrasing what she said a couple of days ago online. So obviously there's an investigation ongoing. I don't, I'm not privy to what that specific detail is, but um, it was pretty clear from just the videos that I personally saw in the media on social media and so forth that, um, the folks who stormed the Capitol were definitely, definitely could have had the potential to uh, take out people like Mike Pence, like Nancy Pelosi, like other members of Congress, and that's that just takes this whole situation to an entirely different level, and um, that's one of the many reasons again that it's just so much more horrifying than we could have even imagined a week ago. Yeah, definitely, Brody. Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that has struck me, and I'll, I'll get to the uh, the partial walk back on the part of federal prosecutors, but uh, I was directly affected by the events of that bright September morning. I was in the Pentagon that morning when the plane hit, and I remember the aftermath of that incident and what Washington looked like and what to me really made it discomforting uh, having seen uh, Michael's videos and his pictures uh, as well as, you know, from 
our other journalistic colleagues, the presence now in the city of Washington with what they've done exceeds what they did after the aftermath of 9-11. So that gives you an idea of just how severe this is. There are less stringent security controls all those years ago after a terrorist attack than there were, you know, being displayed now. And I find that unsettling. And I think it also speaks volumes um, as to exactly where we are right now. And I'll pick up off of what Michael just said. I've seen many of those videos. I know that a couple of the federal prosecutors are walking back the organized effort, but I don't hear Justice Department sources telling me or my colleagues or even FBI folks who've spoken to us uh, that these people weren't out for violence. They were. That this was a given. Um, you know, Vice President Pence, his Secret Service detail uh, barely got him, and I believe it was his eldest daughter, you know, off the floor and down towards the secure facility. I mean, they had like a minute. They, the Secret Service was really going one way with the VP, okay, and his family, while the, you know, domestic terrorist insurgents were coming in on the other side. And that's how close it was. And I don't for, you know, whether or not it was a complete, total, drawn-out conspiracy uh, is going to take a while, I think, for federal law enforcement uh, to develop and work on. I can tell you, based on law enforcement sources that I've spoken to, you know, they uh, one guy came armed to the teeth with a type of Molotov cocktail that more closely resembled napalm than your standard Molotov cocktail. If that thing had gotten out there and these things had been used, you know, it would have been disastrous because it, the napalm is most effective because it's like a sticky substance, okay, that burns and burns for a while. These Molotov cocktails were made the same way. There were pipe bombs that were left in front of the RNC and the DNC headquarters, which are both off Capitol Hill. There was various weapons all over the hill. So it's a little disingenuous, I think, to say, oh, well, maybe it wasn't such a concerted effort and that well organized. No, this was organized. And here's the thing, okay? The minute Parler got taken down, which is the, is the social app that a good deal of those people were using during that time period, you know, suddenly the dark web has suddenly come alive with traffic. And this has been noted, uh, not only that, but even conventional social media. Facebook said yesterday that it has noticed an uptick on their site, okay, of, you know, violence in chat rooms and things going on. I mean, it's been for the Facebook executives and their IT teams playing whack-a-mole trying to knock these groups down. So, um, I think CNN probably needs to reevaluate that because they're not talking to everybody. You may have a couple of federal prosecutors saying, oh, well, maybe it wasn't this. I think there's a bigger picture here, and I'm going to be a little critical of CNN for maybe not giving a completely accurate snapshot of what's really going on. Yeah, and just to add on well, to they, what Brody just – I was just to just add quickly add on to what Brody said – you know, and I, I think we mentioned this last week as well, you know, anybody who was paying attention, you know, we journalists or law enforcement would have, should have seen that, you know, the, what happened, you know, again, not to the degree that it did, but it was pretty clear that folks were planning something here in D.C. last on January 6th. And for the, 
U.S. Capitol Police to be so ill-prepared for it is just something that, you know, folks here in D.C. and obviously members of Congress who lived through this insurrection as well, you know, were just are just flabbergasted by and really outraged over that with the notice that you all had on social media, even, I remember, you know, media was reporting on this, you know, this was not a surprise that folks were going to gather in D.C. to protest the Electoral College certification and just the abject lack of imagination into fortifying the the Capitol with all of this going on, with the heightened tension in which we're living, with President Trump's rhetoric and all of it, it's just unconscionable that the Capitol Police and outside agencies just didn't have the for, uh, wherewithal or the, you know, they just didn't fortify that complex in a way that would have potentially prevented what happened last week from happening. So that's another piece that folks here in D.C. are really upset about, and the investigations will certainly, you know, uncover what went wrong. But um, that's something that well, folks wanted, are really like upset wanted, about. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to ask about that because already the stuff that has come out is um, pretty interesting, let's just put it that way, um, in that the, the police chief apparently did beg for National Guard to be done. Um, he asked mm-hmm. for it ahead of time. The, um, the two individuals within Congress, the sergeant of arms, I guess, for each chamber, um, were complicit into not approving that. Um, and then they were on a call apparently with the, I believe it was the department of defense and it was being stonewalled and turned down there. My question is who of these people were aligned with the Trump administration? Uh, because it seems to me that the delays and not having the guard there, et cetera, was, fear that the optics of it, in fact, they said it, that the optics wouldn't be, quote-unquote, appropriate. But what the reason it wouldn't be appropriate is because Donald Trump, and just to give him the outside of credit that he didn't anticipate that they were actually going to break into the Capitol building, wanted the optics of this huge mob letting their feelings be known right there at the, at the brink of the Capitol without uh, the, the image of them being intimidated by National Guard, unlike what, um, obviously, the Trump administration did so that Donald Trump could walk across the courtyard to a church to hold the Bible up for a photo mm-hmm. op, um, mm-hmm. and, and holding back the uh, Black Lives Matter protesters at that time. Um, so what, what have you heard of those kind of, Trump administration connections that may have prevented the um, the appropriate response. Yeah, I learned a long time ago never to psychoanalyze Donald Trump. It's just not a productive use of one's time. So I'll start with that. Um, it's just a good lesson in life in general um, as we count down his the final days of his administration. But that said, uh, I don't know specifically whether the sergeants in arms had any sort of political inclinations to support Trump. It's pretty clear just from everything that's come out that, you know, what their response to the 
insurrection as well as the events leading up to it was grossly inadequate. I think we can all agree on that, as well as the um, now resigned Capitol Police chief. I've seen... I've seen media reports here in D.C. just, you know, consuming media, local media and so forth, that some of the uh, police officers might have allowed them into the building. I don't have ways to confirm that, but I've seen reports of that. And um, so that'll be interesting to see, you know, if they were publicly supporting the president. I think some a couple of them have been suspended, if I'm correct. Again, I'm not 100% sure on that, but um, there's some real questions about whether some members of the Capitol Police uh, in um, were, you know, at the very least supportive of what happened or supportive of the uh, folks who stormed the Capitol. But there's also, conversely, there's also stories that have come out of Capitol Police officers who did act heroically in spite of the horrible situation in which they found themselves. They've started to talk with uh, local media. I think uh, a couple of the Capitol Police officers spoke to CNN last night, and you're starting to see those accounts. And going back to what I said earlier, those accounts from these police officers who did everything in their power to try to stop these folks from entering the Capitol, despite of, despite the fact that the response was so horrible, um, just shows yet again what a horrific situation unfolded on the Hill last week. And, and if these folks didn't react the way that they did, they meaning these officers, it could have been even worse. So that will all, I think that will all come out in the investigation, but it's certainly the situation certainly does raise troubling questions about whether um, the folks who entered the Capitol had um, support from certain members of the police or folks who were inside the Capitol. That remains to be seen, but it is something that does need to be asked because it's pretty clear this was a, this wasn't just a bunch of folks who decided to storm the Capitol. There was a lot of organization behind it and we'll see what that, you know, we'll see the details of that will come out later. But there's a lot of difficult and difficult questions that need to be asked about what happened, and we'll um, hopefully have the answers to those moving um, in the next few weeks and months. But yeah, it's a very troubling, it's a very troubling situation that continues to right. unfold. So Donald Trump has been impeached. Historically, the only president in history to have been impeached a second time. And to your point, Michael, with the most bipartisan impeachment in history, um, the question as to when is it going to get to the Senate, but also um, is it worth it in your opinions, both you and Brody? You guys? Um, I, I, I think there needs to be, and I'm just speaking personally at this point, I think there needs to be accountability. What happened here on January 6th was so outrageous, was so appalling, and it's very clear that Trump incited what happened, and all you have to do is watch the uh, videos of him speaking at that rally on the Ellipse to see that he indeed incited. I'm, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a prosecutor, but it's clear as day to me that he did. And I would certainly side with the 
it seems like the vast majority of Americans at this point want him to be held accountable for what he did. Now, is that going to happen before the inauguration? Probably not. But, um, but yeah, there there needs to be accountability, and his supporters can say whatever they want, and they do. But at the end of the day, he incited that crowd, and ultimately the buck has to stop somewhere, and it has it should stop with him because he ultimately is accountable for what happened um, not only last week, but just, you know, promoting this lie that the election was rigged and that Biden didn't win. And he was laying the groundwork for this long before that happened. So he needs to be held accountable for what happened. I agree. I think that, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a matter of consequences. There's been discussions today uh, in terms of constitutional legality, uh, you know, can you actually do it because he'll be an ex-president? Um, although some constitutional lawyers are telling me that if they start and deliver the article of impeachment uh, to the Senate and McConnell accepts it on the 19th, he doesn't have to immediately pick it up. But if he accepts it to take it up for scheduling, then technically, constitutionally, they'd be able to get Trump. Why is that important? It's, 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 as Mike just said, it's accountability, but it's also consequences for his actions. The most important thing to note here, if he is impeached, it does some things here that are critically important. Number one, it removes his immediate access, which is given as courtesy, but is still given to ex-presidents or former presidents in terms of you know, intelligence briefings and being kept in the loop. That needs to stop. It removes his presidential pension. Not that that's going to make a difference to Trump. Most importantly, it bars him from office. And then the third thing it does is, without a pardon, it leaves him open, okay, for for future federal prosecution. In other words, the feds can come back after him for malfeasance of office. That is a federal statute. There's laws that do that. So this is why it's critical that the Senate does do it. Now, getting the Senate Republican on board. Brody, the one thing, though, that you said, though, from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the third thing that you mentioned there is actually not an automatic, as I understand it. In other words, the impeachment will not prevent him from seeking future office, he has to be convicted. And once he's convicted by the Senate, they have to pass a separate addendum that they can only pass after he's been convicted that bars him from running again. Okay. I, again, I'm basing it off of what I'm being told. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm saying if the, I'm, the impeachment's done, he is impeached right. twice. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm talking now strictly. I'm just addressing your question towards the Senate and a Senate trial. And what I started to say was they need 17 Republicans to go along with the 50, uh, you know, Democrats, because they have to have to have a plurality of, I believe, two thirds. Okay. Um, You know, the most important thing is that it, it also removes secret service, uh, secret service uh, protections and a few other things along the way. Um, the mouthpieces of office and leaving him open for federal prosecution is critical, though, because of the fact that, and most people will say this, Michael, I think you'd probably agree with this, 
the Trump administration, particularly with the there's been such nepotism with, you know, Ivanka and what's his name and everything else involved. You know, it's essentially been an organized crime family outside of the fact that the president sounds like, you know, a New York Don out of Queens anyway to start with. But, you know, this would be a way for the federal government, the U.S. prosecutors to go after him. Okay, and really make a statement on it. It's all about consequences now. It's all about, as Michael said, it's all about accountability. And this is something that needs to happen. The problem, and here's where it is, the problem is seeing if you can get enough Republican senators to go Mm -hmm. for that. This party is hopelessly, hopelessly been corrupted, okay, and a little bit on the power man side of life. And it's a real big question, okay, if they're going to put country before party. So far, at least since Gingrich took over as House Speaker, it doesn't appear that they really, you know, that's not the way they float. The way they float is party first, then country. And that's really been the core issue. Michael? Yeah, I would just add um, the other part of it is the 14th Amendment that would prohibit him from running for federal office ever again. And that only needs to pass by a simple majority. So, um, we'll see how that plays right. out. Now, there's questions about whether Trump is going to pardon himself, and there's even questions about whether he has the legal authority to do that. We'll see if he tries to do that. There's five days left until he leaves office, so there's plenty of time for him to you know, decide to do that if he chooses to do that. That, however, does not absolve him of any criminal liability that he has in New York State, for example, where there's a, there's he's under investigation as well as in New York City. So the uh, pardoning himself is only for federal crimes as opposed to city and local or state and local. And Lord knows if there's anything else that could come out, say, in Florida or wherever. So, um, so yeah. But again, going back to what I said, you know, he needs to be held accountable for what he did on January 6th. And you can certainly make the case that he needs to be held accountable for everything that his administration has done, not only over the last, you know, over the last four years. And frankly, he needs to be held accountable for things that he's done long, that he did long before he entered the white house. And, um, he's, he really hasn't been held accountable very much in his life probably. And he's starting to see that, um, you know, actions have consequences, and we'll see where that goes. But it's he's in a he's in a situation right now that probably is not um, something, not a place in which he has found himself quite. You know, he hasn't found himself in this situation throughout most of his life, and we're seeing what we're seeing his response to it as yeah. we speak. And you bring up a. You bring up a really good point about um, the state prosecution being on the table, even if he were to pardon himself, and even if that were deemed appropriate or legal for him to do so. But I've also heard that by pardoning himself at the federal level, because some of these charges have overlapped, they're both federal and state charges Mm -hmm. that can be tried in either place, that's by pardoning himself at the federal level, on the state level, that is tantamount to an admission um, of guilt. So it actually could work against him in the state case 
because he has pardoned himself at the federal level. So it's it's he could actually get himself into more trouble or create trouble um, by doing that. Um, what um, I want to go to the 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 strategy for the Republican Party. Um, and Brody, you brought up rightly so. You know the the tendency of the party since uh, Gingrich. Um, it would seem that they they're at a crossroads here because and uh, uh, Mitch McConnell has sort of uh, indicated this that you know they're at an opportunity where you know Donald Trump, if everything goes as it is right now. Is the front uh, front runner for 2024 even now? Um, and if they want to get their party back, they almost have to both convict and um, allow him to be um, prohibited from holding future office. Otherwise, they're not only stuck with him, you know, rabble rousing the troops. Um, but uh, they could be stuck with him in four years. Uh, what What are your thoughts on saner voices in the Republican Party, or if not saner, at least ambitious voices in the Republican Party who want the top spot for themselves? As um, as somebody who lives in D.C., I think we just need to get through the next five days. Um, so thinking about, <laughs> thinking about 2024's, you know, the presidential election in 2024's, you know, it's, you know, one thing at a time. That said, I think what we saw last week and with the impeachment, you know, the Republican Party is almost, you know, it's at a, um, it has to, it, it's a reckoning that, you know, it needs to undertake, are they going to stick with uh, Trumpism and, or, you know, are they going to, you know, chart a different path? I, I, I'm sure that there's many Republicans on the Hill privately who are just, you know, some publicly, but a lot of others privately that are just beyond appalled by what happened and beyond last week and beyond appalled by Trump's conduct, um, not only over the last couple of weeks, but the last four years, just the the Trump spectacle is um, something that folks are pretty, I'm pretty sure just more than happy to see it go away and never want to see it come back again. But, you know, we do have to acknowledge that there are many Republicans on the Hill and elsewhere that do support Trumpism and would like to see nothing more than for that to continue in 2024. So, the party's at a crossroads, I think, and that's going to play out. The 2022 elections are coming up faster than we think, and that might be a harbinger of where things stand going into 2024. But again, um, I think we all just need to get through the next five days to, and then start worrying about that once the inauguration is over and once the situation here in D.C., evolves to the place where we're not on lockdown and worrying about what's happening and then, you know, the urgent, what we're not urgently concerned about what's happening next. So, um, so stay tuned, but that's where, that's where my, that's where my thinking is right now. Let's just get through the next five days and survive this. And then we'll worry about what's coming down the road electorally. Right. 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 Yeah. 
Well, I just I agree with Michael. I did. My sources uh, at Andrews Air Force Base earlier today uh, told me that um, the White House has requested a formal military departure uh, for approximately 10 o'clock uh, Wednesday, which means uh, it'll be Air Force One when it departs, and when it gets halfway down to Florida, it'll switch to Sam 28,000 or whatever number jet he's using for his tail number. Um, he wants, you know, he's leaving out ahead of the inauguration. It's like good riddance line go. Um, mm-hmm. Just the fact that, you know, he's, you know, going to do that, I think is indicative of uh, kind of a more calmer sense that everybody, especially for the people that live in Washington, uh, feel. I, the stress that and having better residents of the city, um, I lived over in Adams, Morgan. Um, I, I can tell you from my experience as a, as a city resident, uh, you know, just how stressful this kind of scenario is. And it's extremely unsettling because it just simply disturbs, you know, the beat of the city. Washington's got a peculiar beat to it, which is unique. And this really just tears it completely apart. Uh, for everyday Washingtonians who have nothing at all to do with what goes down uh, in the area we refer to as the Federal Triangle, which is where the government principally is located off the mile. So it's just, it's kind of, it's just, I kind of feel for Washingtonians as well as I do for the rest of the country. I think everybody really just wants to see this end. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, everybody wants it over. And it's, it's just gotten, it's, it, it's a nightmare. I, I mean, you know, it. <laughs> someone clipped the other day, where's Jerry Ford when you need him to say our long, nice old nightmare is over with? I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Brody's right. I mean, it just, it's so incredible. The last week and a half has just been so incredibly traumatizing and disruptive for folks who live here. And, you know, we're still five days from the inauguration and usually it's, you know, a week of events and balls. And, you know, I remember um, before Obama's second inauguration, my friend, my good friend was visiting us and the day before was this beautiful day. Pennsylvania Avenue was closed down, but people were down there walking around and we just spent the afternoon walking around, looking at the Capitol and, you know, just, enjoying being in dc it was a beautiful day and just to see every you know just to see dc in its glory but this time you know our city's occupied right now and um that's never a good thing and i felt the same way in 2017 when trump's inauguration happened you know there were national guards troop national guard troops throughout the city <clears throat> you know we kind of it was a very tense time because we suspected that violence was going to happen and unfortunately it did but nothing it was nothing like what is going to be mm-hmm. here this time around and it's just really really upsetting and it's really upsetting for the folks who live here that this is what it's come to um at the end of a very tumultuous four years that we're having we here in Washington are having to live with not with upwards of 25,000 National Guard troops in our city. That's a very distressing thing for folks who live here. And people are, by 
the vast, vast majority of folks here are blaming the president for that, and with good reason, with good reason. Right. So um, we have only about four minutes left. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you, Michael, for joining us again with your, your insights. Um, and uh, as, as kind of our, our farewell here to our listeners, um, I know that you guys are going to be running exclusive photographs in the blade, um, I think just the LA blade, right, uh, Brody, or both? both uh, no, uh, the Washington, yeah, Michael's uh, photographs and videos are live now at WashingtonBlade.com. And tomorrow, the Los Angeles <coughs> blade will be publishing uh, two photo essays and a video essay uh, of Michael's uh, bike trip around the nation's capital, uh, documenting. Uh, right. I just I, I I have to say this. You know, I saw the pictures that Michael took, Rob, and the first thing I thought of was as a young reporter in the 1980s, standing at Checkpoint Charlie in Berlin and looking at the Berlin Wall. That's the very first thing I thought of. Right. But well, that's yeah. what I wanted to ask you. It's like we're obviously a vocal medium, not a visual one. So if you can describe some of the images there that were hugely impactful on what viewers will see when they look at them. They're going to see fences with barbed wire on the top that you would normally see outside of a of a penitentiary. They're going to see armed troops, not National Guard just standing there, armed National Guard standing mm-hmm. there. More police cars than you can count. Security fences cutting across the middle of major thoroughways in the city. Uh, you're going to see no people out walking around. There's no sense of joy in Washington. I mean, it's, it's the Grinch who stole inauguration okay there is no joy in whoville or dcville okay because of trump i mean mike's right this is ridiculous you're going to see images of a city that looks as though okay it's under siege it's like one step away from you know bombs exploding it's horrifying and it's the mm-hmm. capital of the united states and yeah i can that, believe it i, I want I was just because I'll leave it really oh, quickly. Ahead, the video that I shot, uh, my colleague described it as looking like Pyongyang, North Korea. So I'll leave it with that with that description. Yep. Well, <laughs> I want to thank you both for being on today and for this discussion and those descriptions. And Brody, quickly, the website that people can see those photographs. Right now, go to WashingtonBlade.com. That's WashingtonBlade.com. And tomorrow, LosAngelesBlade.com. But WashingtonBlade.com. Excellent. So check those out. Um, We will be back here again next week with uh, more information and something um, equally tantalizing. Um, But we thank you for listening. Please tell your friends to subscribe. And uh, with that, Uh, We will see you next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.